the last few weeks we've been talking about uh, some very important things and uh, just to reiterate this, uh, we've been talking about friction and problems in our lives and we discovered a couple of things, uh, three basically, and we kind of built on those and the first fact of friction or uh, heat or problems in our lives, uh, God says you can and you must resolve conflicts in your life. And we discovered that. We discovered that he wants to make us uh, more like him. We discovered that we can be prepared to change when we do resolve friction in our life. We put off some things and we put on some things and then we become more like Jesus. Somebody say amen. So we've, we've gone down that road a number of uh, Wednesday nights and, and dug a little deeper. But since we're going into Christmas, I'd like for us to just think here for a minute about uh, this next slide. I'm not sure if you're aware of what that is, but that is one of the, uh, one of the most famous Christmas uh, movies. And it started out, I don't know if you know it, what It's a Wonderful Life started out as a Christmas card, actually. Uh, a man actually wrote the story in a Christmas card form and sent it to his friends. And somebody uh, read it and was uh, loved the story. And so they bought it from this man for $10,000, uh, the copyrights to it, and the rest is history. It was turned into uh, uh, the, the original title of the, of the Christmas card was uh, The Greatest Gift. And talking about... Um, uh, Mr. Stewart, the greatest gift is knowing what the world would be like if you'd have never been born and being, having a chance to get that life back. Uh, so it's a wonderful life. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. Uh, every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Zuzu's petals. All these things that, you, uh, that come from this old classic uh, Christmas movie, Bedford Falls or Pottersville. Uh, it's a wonderful life. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's a wonderful life. Now I want you to turn back to him and tell him, quit lying to me. It's not a wonderful life. How many would say with me tonight that there are times that difficulties come your way and you, you, wonder, you wonder if life could be more wonderful? In fact, maybe all the wonder of life is if you're wondering if it's going to get any better. Somebody say amen. So tonight, as I mentioned last week, we're going to talk about something very important, and I don't want you to ever forget it tonight. In fact, if you have a pen and a piece of paper or a phone that has the ability to, uh, to a notes page, you might be, it might do you some good uh, to uh, take some notes tonight. Because I know what's going to happen is you're going to have problems. Uh, this is not going to be this is not going to be a sermon to end all your problems. Just like that little picture up there is a little manger scene, and uh, you know that a savior was born in Bethlehem. But the savior being born didn't take away all your problems. Uh, people say, "Well, I came to church and I thought, you know, if I live for God, everything would be good." Then I mean, no, that that's not the truth. That. You know, some of the most difficult things you go through maybe after you decide you're going to give your life to Jesus and live for the Lord. There's some of the greatest difficult hours that you can face 
uh, in the conflict between good and evil, righteousness and unrighteousness, and the spiritual war that you go on when you decide that you're going to live for the Lord. Problems do not go away just because you decide you're going to serve the Lord. I had some great Sunday school teachers, uh, and many of them impacted my life, and I've shared that with them uh, personally and told them how much I appreciate them. Uh, but one couple I specifically remember also, a couple that I, I personally as a young man watched them go through great tragedy. They had a child that uh, uh, tragically in the middle of the night passed away, sudden infant death syndrome, SIDS, and uh, this young couple, first child, this young couple uh, began, to, began, to, uh, began to try to go through that tragedy and, and the process by which they grieved and, and the questions that came to mind and the things that attacked their mind and their hearts. And I, I watched it tear them apart from each other and from God and from the church. And I watched the, their lives begin to disintegrate because they didn't have answers to their questions we all have those kind of situations in our lives. Somebody say amen. And I know it's, gonna, it's an odd title tonight, but I want to talk about the benefits from problems. How many of you have problems? Your problems sitting beside you? <laughs> no, maybe not. Uh, maybe not over here either. <laughs> Get these ladies fighting over here. We're going to have problems. But there are benefits, and I know this is just, but I, I believe that we can receive some spiritual strength tonight uh, from, from understanding that there are some benefits to problems. And the first thing I want us to focus on tonight is the first benefit is for us to remember that God is building now for assembly later. I want you to think about that. Uh, I want you to think, I want, you, I want that to get a hold of you, that God is building now for assembly later. Everybody say assembly. So I'm not what I'm going to be later right now. Right now, God is building me into what he will assemble one day in the future. Somebody say amen. In fact... Uh, at that moment, if I'm living for Jesus, at that moment, uh, everything that, that if we're not careful, we begin to think is real important, and it, it has to do with the temporal world, it has to do with what's physical, it has to do with my health, uh, my car, my house, my retirement account, my health care, the economy, the price of gas, the price of a biscuit at Hardee's, and the list of my worries goes on and on. Did you miss the Hardy's biscuit price? Okay, you're just dead. You're just, you're just brained. Okay, pastor's talking. Let's all go to sleep. You know, I, a lot of our worries ha don't have anything to do with the eternal. I've seen a lot of people be, be freaked out about crazy stuff, and they sit. They they're not concerned about their soul. I'm amazed at how much worry piles on us that eventually is, is we're not going to have to worry about that. 
Uh, somebody's going to fight over that stuff that you're so worried about. Uh, somebody, they're going, they're, you know, like Jesus, they, they divided his, they took his robe off of him and they cast lots for it. Somebody's going to be, going to be wagering for the stuff that you own and you're worried about and, and you waste valuable time and energy uh, worried about. God is building something now that is going to be assembled later. God is not impressed, and I think you ought to take care of your stuff, but God's not impressed with the mow patterns in your yard. I mean, I think you ought to mow your grass, but I don't think he's impressed with you. You know, I got to make it look like Augusta National Golf Course, or, or you know, or, or God's not impressed. Well, I'm not sure he may be. He may be impressed with the state of your house right now. If he walked in your living room and your living room's a mess, he might be really impressed. Uh, you know, all the stuff that we worry over, God is building something now. Everybody say now. Say this with me, all of it. God is building now for assembly later. Now, I know that, that may not make a lot of sense right now, but I want you to know you're not what you're going to be eternally. You are not that right now. So be aware that what you are right now is not going to last for eternity. It's temporal. It's going to come to an end. So what God is doing in my life is not supporting what's going to pass away. Because that's going to... He, he would not be a good investor if he was pouring all of his resources into something that was going to fail. So your physical being, well, God didn't heal me. Well, I got a backache and then God doesn't seem to be worried about it. No, he's not as worried about your backache as you are. He's very concerned about where you're going to spend eternity. Am I okay? So let's say it again. God is building now for assembly later. Okay, let's look at 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7. This passage is very, very interesting. They're building the temple. Everybody say the temple. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I'm the temple. Now, I know this is the physical temple, but notice how they built it. And could it be that, that the building of that temple represents how God's building this one? Okay, and the house, when it was in building, was built of stone and made ready before it was brought thither. Now, that's a fancy word for brought together. In other words, they, don't, they didn't build a temple like you build a house, like they get all the boards from RP Lumber and they get the concrete trucks to pull up and they all go to one site and they start hammering and nailing and, and there, there's compressors running and there's, there's people hollering and screaming. no. The site where the building was going up was silent. Every cut, every brick or stone that had to be cut was cut off site. It was done somewhere else. And they got it all measured, cut, and they brought it together and put it together in a quiet fashion. Now that's amazing. Look at that. It was made somewhere else. It was put, it was cut all the stuff, the stone was made ready before it was brought thither so that there was no sound of hammer or axe or any tool of iron heard in the house while it was building. Now that's interesting. We want, uh, to, if we're honest with ourselves, we want quick solutions to our problems. 
But God wants to develop character before he removes the problem. See, God's building something much bigger and better than your physical house or your health. God is doing something in the silence. He's building a man or a woman that's going to stand the test of time and problems and difficulties. And eventually he's going to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So the things that God is doing uh, on the outside, how many would say there's problems in your life that cause a lot of noise? Namely, your spouse. There's a lot of noise in my... Could it... How many's ever gone home and said, would you just be quiet? Shut up. <laughs> See, all that noise, this passage says it. All the noise was involved with cutting stones and, and cutting, uh, 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 you know, the, the masons there and then they're doing the work of the mason and they're cutting the stones so that they fit one upon the other. And when they got them together, there was silence. They didn't bang around on stuff. It was put, do you know that when the trumpet sounds that in the moment and the twinkling of an eye, and I don't, I, I, the Bible says as Jesus left here is the way we're gonna leave here. I do not believe we're gonna be leave here in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. I don't believe we're going to be raptured that quick. In fact, I got biblical evidence that we're going to leave like Jesus did. And they watched him leave. But what's going to happen in a moment is we're going to be changed. We're going to be changed instantly. And that's, there's not going to be any sound. There's not going to be, well, God's going to have to saw on us and hamp. No, all that's done right here. All that's done when you're going to work and going home and all the stuff, all the clamor in your life is happening now. He's putting something together and then eventually he's gonna make it something glorious. And that, that's gonna be my spiritual man. Somebody say amen. Let's look at this verse, Romans 8, 28. We know this one. You all know that this is the famous one. Quote it. And we know that all, you're so good, you're smart Bible quoters, come on, quote it. And we know that all things. Man, I wish people could hear you quote that. They wouldn't know that it's up there on the screen behind me. You're doing so good. This is the most famous of the two verses that I wanna reference. But notice why all things work together. Have you ever wondered why all things work together for the good of them that love God? There's a why. The next verse says it. The next verse says it. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, God's plan for us is to be conformed to the image of his son. Let me translate that. That means God, some of you praying, God, I want to know what you plan for me. It's in the Bible. He plans for you to be changed to become like Jesus. That's what he's planning for you. He wants you to look just like Jesus. He wants you to act just like Jesus. He wants you. I, I just took away half your worry in your life about what God's will for your life is. God's plan for your life is for you to be like Jesus. Now, if you're like the Lord, go on to something else. But if you're not, why don't you focus on that for a while? 
Before you focus on anybody else, focus on God's plan for you. And God's plan for you is to be changed into the image of his son, and that's Jesus. Somebody say amen. Now, the verse before that says, all things work together for the good of them that love God. Why? Because God's plan is for you to become like Jesus. That means everything that happens to me is in the plan of God to make me like Jesus. Think of that in terms of problems. I lost my job today, Brother Gene. I'm so depressed. How could God let me go through that? Well, He plans for you to be like Jesus. So all of it's working for your good. Turn to your neighbor and tell them all of it is working for your good. Now, we misinterpret that because we think that means all things work out the way we want them to. No, what that means is all things work to the good of them that love God according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? The next verse says it. He wants you to be like Jesus. And if he left you alone in a problem-free world, in fact, I would like to say, I, I pulled into this church early in the morning sometimes and I've wondered, huh, I wonder what they're going through. Because I haven't seen them early at church ever. But all of a sudden, two or three days, their car's parked in the parking lot. Now, don't drive by wondering who's here and Brother Jeep. I'm talking about this was 24. This was the first Sunday I came here. <laughs> so don't get on around now. Who is he talking about? Have you ever noticed that when people start struggling, they really light up spiritually? Oh, I got to pray. Oh, I got to fast. You know what? When everything's going good, we don't even need to go to church. Everybody okay? There's something about problems that cause us to seek God. All things work for, to the, good, for the good of them that love God. Doesn't mean everything's going to come out. How does, how does Romans 8, 28, uh, how does that jail with a, a young married couple losing their infant baby to SIDS? All things work together according to his purpose. His purpose is for me to be like Jesus. So it's not what I go through that really is the issue. It's how I go through it. The Bible says men's days are few. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you don't have much longer. <laughs> yeah, tell them. They need to hear it. You don't have much longer. Your days are few. Can I get a hand from some of the older folks that say, you know what, life is short. You don't even know what I'm saying. You already got your hand up. Isn't that great? These are great saints here. They don't know what pastor's saying. I could have just, they already had their hand let me see the hands of some of the old folks. They thought that was all they wanted. Let me see your hand. No, the, the question is, how many of you older folks can say that life is short? Oh, absolutely. It goes quick, doesn't it? Men's days are few, and the Bible says they're full of what? Trouble. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you don't have long, and the time you have is going to be full of trouble. Full of trouble. So that verse, oh, Brother G, no, I just don't understand the Bible. so hard to understand. Romans 8, 28 says all things work for my good. That means it's going to come out like a, no, uh-uh. 
That means what's his purpose? Because in that verse it says, to those that love God according to the plan. And what's his plan? For me to be like Jesus. He wants to see how I'm going to deal with the cross. How I'm going to deal with a personal friend turning their back on me. How am I going to deal with somebody smacking me in the face and saying, who hit you if you're really a preacher? Well, they cut me off. They pulled out in front of me. Oh, really? Don't forget God's putting something together now for assembly later. Okay, let's look at this. We got this next one, 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. But we all, if I say with all, we all, we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. What does that mean? It means that God is more interested in right procedure of problem solving than actually solving the problem itself. What did you just say, preacher? It's real quiet and I need to make sure I got it. God is more interested in me going through the problem right than actually solving the problem. Let me give an example. How do I sit the little couple down that lost their baby to SIDS and help them solve that problem? You don't solve that problem. You live a lifetime and never solve that problem. But what you do is try to help people go through the problem. (laughs) Because it's going through the problem that God's looking at. (laughs) You see, a life message is formed as you go through. It's not, well, I'm the greatest problem solver. I don't have anybody solve all my problems. No, we want out of the pressure. God uses the pressure to motivate us to maturity That's what this verse says. We are changed. Everybody say, we are changed. What is it that changes us if we fail to gain benefit from the problems? He's going to raise up new problems. That's what he'll do because he wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. So God is building now for assembly later. So there's a lot of noise. The, The stones are being cut. My life's being filed on. Yes, absolutely. But God is putting together a building that he will assemble in the near future. I want to hear him say, well done. I want to tell you something. Problems just reveal what's in you that you didn't know was there. How many ever, something happened and you got so mad you were almost uncontrollable? You never knew that was there. I mean, it's not, we're being honest. You never knew that was there. But that anger came so fast, it almost took over. And you, your spouse had to say to you, take a deep breath. You're about to have a heart attack. Everybody okay? Yeah, problems really only come to show us what needs to be worked on. Okay, let's, let's look at another benefit. Another benefit is not only God is building now for assembly later, but the second one I want to focus on tonight, everybody say it, the benefit of more grace from God. Everybody say more grace from God. Now, success is related to how much grace God gives us. How much grace God gives us. Now, this is very important. We're going to answer a very important question. 
How much grace has God given you? Somebody said a lot. But, but let's, let's talk about how much. Can we measure how much grace? Well, let's look at a passage, 2 Peter 1 and verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's interesting. Because Peter says, grace that we say we got a lot of. How many know the Lord forgave you? Uh, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But the Bible says that grace, not only do you know you got a lot of it, but grace is multiplied. That's a, grace is multiplied unto you. Now the word multiplied, it simply means here in in the Greek, it means to cause to increase greatly. Now, I don't know about you, but, but when I think about God's grace, I don't know how that increases. I mean, it's like, it's like a river that you can't cross over. But the Bible here says, uses a word that says grace and peace. Now, we don't preach about peace, but it's, it's a good subject too because uh, peace is multiplied. But grace is caused to increase greatly. Now, how do the rest of that verse says how it's increased. Through what? Through the knowledge of God. Through coming to... Let's just use, you know, Sister Amy said a lot when I said how much grace have you been given. Let's use Sister Amy as an example. When Sister Amy came to the altar and said, Lord, forgive me of my sins. You know, I'm a wretched person. I need God. Lord, forgive me. She, She was aware that God had to do some work in her life. But you know what? How many ever years down the road now looking back... She sits here and says, you know what? I know God more now than I did when I knelt at the altar. And I can say there was more grace than I even realized. (laughs) The more I know God, the more his grace increases. That doesn't mean the grace gets bigger. It means my knowledge of who he is. Oh, my. How do I get that? How do I know God's bigger than when I was 12 years old at an altar? It's because he's shown up bigger. He showed me how he's bigger. He's walked me through some of the darkest nights I've ever had. He's brought me through trials and adversity and problems. You see, grace needs to be multiplied. And I only get that by coming to know God. This is how I know somebody doesn't know God. When they talk about grace in terms of I can do what I want. Oh, you just proved your ignorance. That's all you did. Because the Bible tells us grace multiplies to somebody that knows God. Then it becomes amazing. Yeah. Amazing grace. I want to tell you what, there are people in this room that if it weren't for the amazing grace of God, they wouldn't be sitting here right now. That's a fact, and they know it. And if I gave them the microphone, they could test. They'd have been in an insane asylum if they were alive, if it weren't for the grace of God. That's the facts, the stories. You wonder how a human being can even can even survive some of the things that people in this room have gone through. 
grace has been multiplied in their life. One of the greatest children's evangelists the United Pentecostal Church has ever experienced or known was a young man that his dad locked him in the basement and threw food down in the basement so he wouldn't starve to death. And the only thing down there was a piano and he learned how to play the piano and he would play for hours and and in his condition and his abuse that he suffered from his own father. And, And somebody said, well, he never grew up. No, he didn't, but you know what? God took that and he turned it into one of the greatest children's evangelists that has ever walked in shoe leather. I want to tell you, grace can be multiplied as you come to know God. How do I get to know him? How do I get grace? How do I multiply? Well, let's look. That's in the Bible too. Amazingly, it's Bible study night. The answer's in the Bible, James 4 and 6. But he giveth more grace. Now wait a minute. If grace is grace and it's what it is and you don't get more of it, you don't, wait, James says he gives more grace. Who does he give more grace to? It tells you. He resists the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. Wait, we obtain grace from God. In fact, we didn't do anything to deserve it. Hello? That's a fact. But the Bible tells us, Peter says, he multiplies grace to those that know God. And in James it says he gives more to some people. Who does he give more grace to? He gives more grace to the humble. You know how we receive grace? By being humbled. And how are you humbled? How are you humbled? There's nothing more humbling than conflicts you cannot solve, especially if others know you have those problems. I've had people ashamed to walk in my office and say, Pastor, this is the problem I'm struggling with. You know why? Because it tore away their pride. And when pastor said, look, you don't have to worry about, you know, you don't have to worry about people's opinions. The Lord loves you. He wants to restore you. He wants to heal you. All of a sudden, a thousand pounds came off their shoulders and they felt free as a bird. Why? Because my problems, the humbling of me was not final. And you know what? It's not the good things. That, in fact, the good things, if we're not careful, make us proud. It's the difficulties that humble us. In fact, the scripture says you need to fall on the rock so you can be broken or else the rock is going to fall on you and grind you to powder. Lord, let me go through those things that bring me to the altar, that put me on my knees, that humble me. Yeah. You know what? Something else is a benefit. Everybody say a benefit. First, when God's building now for assembly later, the second benefit to problems is he gives more grace, more grace to the humble. Huh? Maybe we ought to pray that prayer tonight. Lord, humble me. He might give you more problems. The third benefit I want to focus on is self-examination. Everybody say self-examination. You know, God requires periodic examinations where there's no doctor we can go to and no appointment necessary. We don't need to call the secretary and say, you know, it's Dr. Jesus in. It's time for my monthly checkup. 
What does he want us to do? We can't go to his office and have him examine us, so he wants us to examine ourselves. Check yourself out. Isn't this interesting? Because I'm, I'm not, I don't think it happens here. This is in churches everywhere else. There's some strange orb around us that none of these problems ever happen here. But most people, outside of all the smart, godly people here, most people are more concerned about examining everybody else. In fact, if you start encouraging them to look at themselves, they they don't want any part of that. They won't tell how everybody's a hypocrite and everybody thinks they're better than everybody and they're holier than thou and I know this and I know that and the list goes on and on. But the minute you say, look at yourself, oh, I don't have any problems. I'm good. Well, then why are you on nerve pills? Huh? Everybody Okay. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you're getting a little nervy. (laughs) Self-examination. Look at this. Self. Everybody say self-examination. Turn to your neighbor and tell them quit examining me. That is not your place. That is not your place. You know, I'm I'm just going to talk to you as your pastor's Bible study night. Most everybody here is a saint. (laughs) Most. (laughs) That's a key word there. Everybody hears the same. Everybody hears the same. I'll say this. You know, you know you start making, I've tried to counsel in the last 24 years. I've made a stab at it. And, um, you know. But I have learned a few things. And one of them is you're never going to get anywhere while you're playing the blame game. Man, you waste a lot of time. Man, I've had people just wearing the carpet out about what they did and they did this. And, they, and I know I'm like you in Bible study night. I'm just on pause. My brain's in neutral until they get done. Because I know we ain't, they ain't going to hear nothing until they get this all out of their system. So I'm in the chair going... He did this and they did that. And, and, and the minute you say, well, now, okay, I hear all that, but you know what? Have you thought about your attributing to this problem? What? Me? I've done nothing. Well, I'm sure you're just as pure as the white driven snow. I'm sure all these problems happen in the vacuum. Or maybe over the vacuum. He's arguing with himself. He's throwing a tantrum with himself. You didn't participate in it at all. In fact, you didn't motivate him to get that. He came in that mad. And he said, you just sat there like a sweet princess. And he just blew up for no reason. Right. Hello? Everybody Okay. Men, if you want me to start preaching about the women, just say amen a little bit. All right. Everybody say self-examination. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I am not your business. 
Turn to tell them. Connor, I said, tell your neighbor, and you just sat there laughing. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I am not your business. Amen. Amen. You say, oh, I'm not sure I believe that. I'm not. Well, okay. Let's go to the Bible. This is a Bible-believing church, 1 Corinthians 12. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Do you know when you're not going to be judged? There's only one time you're not going to be judged. is when you judge yourself. How many like that? Nobody ever judge you. How many like that? Raise your hand. I've heard people say, oh, you're so judgmental. You know what? All that judgment would stop if you judge yourself. Am I okay? Yeah. If we judge ourselves, we shall not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Look at that. That says to me that if I judge myself, I will not be judged. And when we are judged, when are we judged? Because we didn't judge ourselves, right? Please, don't go to sleep on me. This is a mathematical equation. It says when you judge yourself, you will not be judged. But when we are judged, you see that? When are we judged? We're judged when we don't judge ourselves. Okay, well, I think you got it. Do you have it? Yeah. The only way to not be judged is if you judge yourself. And then the very next sentence says, but when you are judged, that simply infers that you haven't been judging yourself. When you are judged, you are chastened of the Lord. You say, well, I don't want any of these problems. You know why you got the problems? Is so you will look at yourself. It's the only reason it's there. It's not for you to look at everybody else and everybody. No, the problem is there so you will examine or judge. And that's what the word examine yourselves. We're not motivated to examine ourselves when things go well. No, we're motivated to examine ourselves when things are not going well. And I've noticed that when things go wrong, we like to look outside of ourselves for all the reasons and when we examine ourselves, we are grieved in our spirits because all of a sudden we start searching motives, attitudes. Yeah. The moment we get chastened is because now we're being judged because we did not examine ourselves. Am I okay? Let, you say, well, Brother Gina, I'm not so sure. What, are you saying that if I examine myself, I won't have any problems? Well, no, but your problems will lose their effect. See, if I examine myself, let's take a little hypothetical. Let's, let's just, let's use the analogy of let's drive since let's, we're on the highway. And, you know, you're, you're behind those two people that have their crews set exactly on the same speed. And the one's in the fast lane and one that's in the slow lane. I've thought about making a poster and saying it's against the law to drive more than three miles in the fast lane if you're not passing somebody. 
But anyway, they're not concerned with that law. <laughs> they're putting it up to the window. It's against you're disobeying the law. Hypocrite. At least I'm not speeding. Yeah, but you're guilty anyway. <laughs> Hello? Here they are, driving down. And I, it's a problem, because I got somewhere to be. Now, I know it's a, it's a kind of a comical problem. Let's make, this, let's, let's make this a problem, whether it's big or small. Here's a problem, two people. Let's see, Brother Craig Bloom and Brother Mike Woodward. They're driving their big semi-trucks and they just love each other so much they got the windows down there talking and chatting, driving down the interstate going about 55. <laughs> hey, Brother Craig, how are you? Oh, there's a, there's a mile-long line of traffic behind them trying to get around. And all of a sudden, somebody decides, I'm not putting up with this anymore. And they go around on the curb and whoom, and they pass Brother Mike and they give him the one God finger. <laughs> Praise God, one God, one God. They're waving, get over. They're turning on their blinker. Get over, get over. You're in a fast. You ever done that and kind of took a breath and went, what did I just do? How stupid was that? Problems, look, problems are there for you to look at yourself. See, it loses its power when you look at yourself and say, why are you being so impatient? God wants you to enjoy the ride. Look at the beautiful trees. See? See, if you judge yourself, you will not be judged. See, the policeman will pull up and say, I saw you pass on the curb back there. Well, yeah, but it's because those two nitwit truck drivers wouldn't get going. Well, I'm sorry, sir. We're going to judge you because you reacted in an inappropriate way. Am I okay? See, if I judge myself before I ever get in that stuff, I don't go through the chastening, see? It doesn't take the problem away. It takes away how I go through the problem. Am I okay? Yeah, it changes my attitude in the problem. So it doesn't mean if you, if you judge yourself, you're never going to have any more problems. No, but problems may lose their power. Somebody say amen. Look at this. Everybody say examine yourself. Look at this. Proverbs 20, 27. The spirit of man. Everybody say the spirit of man. Spirit of man. And that's not the spirit of God. The spirit of man. And every one of you have it. God put it in you. The spirit of man. Humanity. Look. The spirit of man. What is the spirit of man? It's kind of weird because there's spirit of God in me and then there's a man's spirit in me. Humanity. What is the spirit of a man? What is it? It's in that verse. Come on. It's a test. What is the spirit of a man? It's the candle of the Lord. And why did God light it? That's in the verse too. Why did God give you a spirit, which is a candle? It's right up there. It searches all the inward parts. You have a conscience. God put a candle there. Now this, this is, I, we could preach an entire message about you being careful not to blow that candle out. The ability of the search. This doesn't say the Spirit of God searches your belly. 
Oh, I just need the Holy Ghost to move and search through their hearts. No, it's not the Holy Ghost that searches your heart. It's the spirit of a man. You will never repent until you search your own heart and say, I need to repent. There's no illumination needed like God coming down and saying, look, I know everything you've done. He already knows that. What you need to do is know it. The spirit of a man says, I'm searching my heart. And I want to make sure I don't put that candle out. Somebody say amen. Amen. One of the benefits of problems is that it causes me to say I'm going to look myself in the mirror. I've literally been in church services. Literally. My daughter hates that word because it's been so misused, but I like to misuse it. But I'm using it in a literal sense now. I've literally been sitting in a church service where it felt like everybody was on a merry-go-round and I was standing outside watching them. Everything looked spiritual. They were waving their hands and saying hallelujah, but it looked like a charade, a game, because there was no self-examination. Nobody's saying, Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I'm not your problem. That's right. You've got enough problems yourself. Here's another one, and I'm, I'm hurrying to a close. Benefits from problems. Here's another one. The benefit of new insight into Scripture. <laughs> problems. Think about it. New insight comes from the Word of God. And we don't get those customarily when everything's going good. In fact, there are vast areas of Scripture that are never meaningful until we go through the experience for which they give insight for. Am I okay? Yeah. In fact, let's look at Proverbs one twenty three. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words. Look at that. Everybody say reproof. Everybody say spirit. Everybody say words. Those are three key words there. The first one is we're going through problems. We're getting chastened. God says I'm reproving you and when I do, I'll pour my spirit on you so you will know my words. I can't tell you how many times I've read that verse in my lifetime over and over, but in a crucial moment at a crucial hour, I read that same verse and it said something totally different. It spoke to me in that moment. You know, when the Lord reproves us, we're going through difficulties and, tra- and maybe even tragedy. He pours his spirit upon us. He puts more grace on us and then he causes us to know his words. All of a sudden, I come to understand his word more than I did before. That's a benefit to problems. Uh, two more. If I say two more. So now you know I'm closing. Huh. Benefit to problems. Uh, let's, one of them is unifying the family. Would you say that with me? Unifying the family. Unifying the benefit of unifying the family. Think about problems you face in your family or in your life. Think about, think about that in terms of sickness. 
when daddy or mama or one of the kids, let's say one of the kids gets leukemia. Oh, well, so what? I got to go to work. What? You know what happens if little Johnny gets leukemia? I don't care if I go to work today. I'm going with him to St. Louis to go get examined by the doctor. You'll just have to find somebody to work for me today. You know what happens when you start going through problems? All the things that don't matter lose their allurement all of a sudden. It don't matter that your car's dirty. It don't matter that there's dirty dishes in the sink. The stuff you fight over. Everybody okay? All right. It has a, it has a way of unifying the family and the foundation of the church and the foundation of this nation, whether you believe it or not, I'm going to preach it anyway. The foundation of this nation is the family. The foundation of this church is the family. And when the family begins to be pulled apart, God may allow things to take place to bring it back together. Everybody going their own way. Listen, a few days ago, it wasn't long ago, it was a Monday morning, Shayla comes home for, on the weekend and you know lives in Mattoon and she drives back on Sunday night and she was talking to her sister Chelsea as she was driving back. Uh, she had left quite late and so she had, um, she had texted uh, my phone and Cheryl's phone that she had made it but we were unaware of that text arriving because we were both asleep. Uh, when we got up the next morning, the text was there. I've made it. But Chelsea had blown our phone up also from about 1 o'clock till about 3.30. Just, I think there was like 42 texts on my phone about Shayla. Because Shayla had had a call coming in. She was supposed to call Chelsea back. She didn't call Chelsea back. She went in her apartment, went to bed, put her phone on silent and slept all night, got up the next morning, got in the shower, getting ready for work, and we know she has to leave for work about 7 o'clock. Well, it is 6.50, and nobody's heard from Shayla for about 12 to 13 hours. You know what? We are freaked. I had the cemetery plot. I'd already called Larry Rogers for what songs we were going to sing at her funeral. You can say all you want to about, oh, you didn't, no, you didn't, oh, yeah, she was dead and buried. Somebody was in her apartment and had her knife point and she's chained up somewhere. You know what I'm saying? All you don't have kids, you can laugh all you want. But little missus has gone missing. And I'm laying in here in my office saying, oh, God, oh, God, touch my, you know, she should have been up about 6.30. She's got to leave for work here in about 10 minutes. She should be getting ready. She should know somebody, somebody's trying to reach her. And I knew about 6.45 would be the the and off point. 6.45 hit, we are officially DEFCON 5 now. Freak out. Yeah. Nothing. Not heard a word from her. So we're calling Mattoon. She's got friends in Mattoon. We, we don't know what happened to Shayla. Last time we heard from her was about 10.30, 10.45 last night. She's gone off the grid. She's not answering her phone today. And we don't know where she is. Well, her friend says, I'll go to her apartment. So she goes to her apartment and she's, she's on the phone. She says, her car's here. And we're like, oh my God, somebody's in her apartment with her. The girl goes up to the door, bangs on the door. Her car's here, but she's not answering. Oh my God, she had a heart attack. She's laying in bed, dead. 
Yeah. You know what it was? She's in the bathroom finishing up from her shower. Her phone's on silent. That's all it was. Her phone's on silent. Oh, I love you, Sister Shayla. Love that phone you have. I got a few words for you. Don't put that phone on silent! <laughs> Why is everybody freaked out? Got somebody knocking on my door? <laughs> yeah, okay. Love you too. But you know what? For, for just a few hours there, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Work, school, it didn't matter. Nothing like a little adversity. <laughs> hey, and have you ever thought, a lot of us say, well, they said things to hurt my feelings and they did this and they did that and stuff that happened 30 years ago, we're still chewing on it. Have you ever thought that it happened? God trying to bring something together. We can gripe about it and complain about it and use it as a torch for our insensitivity for the rest of our lives. Or we can realize, wait a minute, God used it for something. Amen. There's some benefits to problems. Last one, this is the last one. Uniting families in a church. As the church becomes concerned about a problem, threatening one of its members, the other families are drawn together. Have you ever seen a family member in this church all of a sudden suffer tragedy? What happens in the church? Yeah. It's like white blood cells rush into an infection. They just get around it and they just, they just pray and, and they call special days of prayer and fasting and they, they give concern and they cook meals and they make phone calls and they send cards in the mail. God gives special instructions through the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. People have a word from God for them. God sends somebody with a message. We lay hands on people. We pray. We hold hands together around their sick bed and the list goes on and on. That's what happens when we have, and yet we think it's God trying to kill us. Oh, no, no. He's putting something together here that he will ultimately bring to pass in the future. There's a sign over a desk that read, Be thankful for your problems on your job. Without them, you could be replaced by somebody who makes a lot less money. We are evaluated more by how we handle problems than by the success we achieve. Listen, God is watching how you go through difficulties, not how you solve all your problems. Who has not had a problem with self-esteem, friends, loved ones, complete strangers, finances, heartbreaks, physical and mental disabilities, children, parents, terrible mistakes, disappointments, and the list goes on and on. But the fact of the matter is, without the problems, I wouldn't be the person I am today. In fact, in my own personal prayer time, I had a beef with God about an absent dad, a dad who had walked out on his family, and I didn't like it. And one night, God said to me, if you hadn't gone through what you've gone through, you wouldn't be the young person you are right now. And in that moment, I looked at my life and I said, 
I'd rather be who I am now than have a perfect life. Somebody say amen. So there are a number of things, and I close. A number of things that we need to remember about problems. Problems are really golden opportunities disguised in work clothes. Thank God for every one of them. Time to get your work clothes on. Second thing, remember that everyone you meet is afraid of something, loves something, and has lost something. Everybody. Something else about problems you need to remember. If Columbus had turned back, no one would have blamed him, but no one would have remembered him either. You want to be remembered? Then make it through your problems. Forge on through difficulties. Somebody say amen. Let's stand together. I want us to pray together. In fact, I want you to reach over. We're, we're family tonight, and some of you sitting beside son or daughter or husband or wife, I, or maybe just your friend, I want you to reach over and get them by the hand or put your hand on their shoulder, and I want us to pray together right now. I, it, fact of the matter is there's people in this room that have tremendous problems right now, and, and God is able to help us, but, but he's not just going to come down and fix it all. He does want us to, to, to labor through by faith. Amen. Let's pray together.